All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's up? Episode four. How we feeling? Boy, I want to thank you all for tuning in to episodes one through three. And if you're maybe new to episode four, listen up. Enjoy this one. It's going to be a good one. But go back. One through three were really, really fun. We had Ira McCauley from Momarsh and then Anthony Farrow from Fetching Feathers. It was just a lot of fun, good good dog training tips, and we had fun. I mean, Kevin and I really enjoyed our conversation with these guys. great storytellers. Yeah. Great storytellers. Yeah, we were laughing, and it was really fun for us to sit back and re-listen to them as we launched. Um, Kevin has just gotten back from his honeymoon, this sandbagger went to Alaska. Feel, feels good, though. Feels good to be back. Kev, tell us a little bit about your Alaska trip. Um, your pictures were amazing. Views were amazing. But oh, It was awesome. It was awesome. We um, flew into Anchorage and rented a car, road tripped all around. It's been a dream since forever to travel, see the absolute American wilderness. I mean, the last, last frontier. Uh, did some fishing, some hiking, almost got run down by a moose. That was a wild one. Uh, Where did you fish? The upper Kenai River. Floated down the river, um, caught some coho. That was awesome. I've never caught a coho before. Fought like a son of a gun. It was really cool. Very cool experience. What kind of fishing tackle did you use? What kind of rod and reel? Uh, we're using spinning reels for the for the salmon. Um, I guess so they don't eat food when they come into the river. They're five years old. Uh, when they come back to spawn, they smell out their home river, I guess, and, uh, they don't eat. So you put, uh, something in front of their face for them to attack. So they fight like heck when you, when you get them on the line. So that was 
really cool. Uh, I caught it in its blush phase, I guess. So it was just starting to turn pinkish reddish. Uh, it was a male. Um, learned a lot. It was really cool. How could you tell it was a male? We had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> they look different. Okay. They cool. look different. Cool. Uh, the, the front of them looks different, you know. I'm sure it, something looks different. Yeah. No, it was cool. Their their face is a little bit different. What so, else did um, you catch? Uh, some rainbows in Dolly Varden, which we don't have uh, where where we live. They're like a purplish orange rainbow trout looking fish. Cool. Beautiful. Um, it was just really cool. Spent the whole day, whole morning and afternoon floating down the river. It was a glacier fed river, which was cool because it was like turquoise. Um, so, I mean, it was just beautiful water, nice and cold. That was cool. We've never done something like that before. Nice. And uh, I've kind of gotten into fly fishing a little bit. So the, the trout fishing we did after, you couldn't actually take the trout home. Brought salmon home. That was cool. Um, but couldn't bring the, the trout home. Um, how about that cowboy cowboy Rick uh, style, I don't know, what did you do, horseback riding we, or something? Uh, it was, it was my honeymoon. Lasso. Keep it, going. Mm, not as much lassoing. That would have been even cooler. But, I mean, it was my honeymoon, so wife wanted to go ride some horses. So we uh, road trip down to Homer. Couple hours south of Anchorage, um, incredible. We stayed in like an underground hut thing. It looked like some Frodo Baggins place. Very cool though. Um, it was right on the Catchmack Bay, which looked over to a bunch of glaciers and an active volcano. So that was really cool. Sat in a little hot tub action, overlooking all this stuff. It was cool. But oh, so the horseback riding we rode down, uh, didn't run into any bears, didn't see any moose there. Um, but it was cool. Rode around uh, where like all the wild Alaska guys live. Yeah, like you the, were saying that the uh, the bay that they live in, claim to live in, whatever you want to call it. Um, we rode horses down through there, so that was pretty cool. I mean, you see it on TV, it does look just as cool. Uh, so I don't know. It was it was definitely a dream come true to spend a week traveling Alaska. Good. What were the tally of big game animals that you got to witness? Good question. Uh, we ran into nine moose. They were well. I don't know. They were all female. The, all the adult moose were were female, and then there were a handful of calves. Uh, and then we did some hiking in Denali, which was cool. Uh, back home in in New York, there's. I mean, we have bears and we do have some moose, but you don't really go out hiking worrying about problems like that. But, I mean, we had to wear bells and it was pre- it was different. Different. I had to have bear spray. It felt like a man carrying bear spray. That's cool. Yeah. It didn't suck. So um, I've got a funny dog story about bells. Not to digress no, here for a second, it. but one of my biggest pet peeves when we're out pheasant hunting is listening to the other dogs out in the fields with their owners ding a ling a ling 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 ding 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 old school old school style with a dog bell on where it's like you know where your dog is and if the bell stops your dog's either going to the bathroom or on point the cover we hunt up here though you see your dog in different places there i don't know i mean if you're in grouse country you you're definitely not seeing them but 
it's so annoying hearing that bell all the time. I can't imagine being in Alaska where it's like beautiful and serene and all you're hearing is ding, 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 ding. Yeah, it was different. I mean, it was cool. It was different. Got to do what you got to do to not get eaten by a bear. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Made well, it back. Yeah. Made glad it back you, for episode four. Right. I'm glad you made it back for episode four. Um, about my weekend, we'll dump, jump into that. We had a really, really successful hunt test weekend here in uh, central New York. My home club, Finger Lakes Retriever Club, had their fall hunt test, and I ran Memphis, Cruise, and Safe, and Master. And then Ember and my dad's dog, Boss, in senior. And super uh, proud, I guess it's like the number one word I can think of, is just proud of all the training that went into these guys. Years. Years worth of training. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Years of training, but just the, the control they had, the discipline they had, their marking, their blind running, everything that went into it. Uh, we've got, we got Memphis's master title, which is sweet. Thank you. We got, uh, safe is now two for two in master and Cruz is four for four in master and needs one more for her master title. So super proud of them. Um, boss had a heck of a run last summer. He went three for three in senior. And then in his final test, he broke both days. Um, just couldn't contain himself with the live flyer on honor, broke both days and basically was done. Like I got too busy training. He didn't get to come hang out with me. We were done running tests. And so it was kind of hunting season too. Like he turned into more of a meat dog. Like we were going out and duck hunting and you were traveling and yeah, I just didn't have time and that's sad to say, but I didn't get to finish him off and he needed one more pass. So uh, the last couple weeks, I had him in training and dialed him back in, and he was flawless. I mean, stepped on. He looked on, good. He did look good. He He's a machine. He's a really, really good dog. So we got his senior title, and sweet girl Ember, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> she's not your dog. She's not my dog, but she might as well be. I love her to death, and uh, she went four for four in senior and got her title this weekend. So, you know, it. it it's an everyday job being a dog trainer. It's a lifestyle. It's not a, a job. And when you put blood, sweat, and tears into these animals and they put that amount of effort out for you and with you on these tests, it's it's unbelievable. And, again, we've talked about the unspoken bond on this uh, podcast one. We really digressed into that and really dove into it. But I felt so proud of these guys and uh, – and seeing the owners being proud and my dad being proud and Jack Ember's owner being proud. Um, it was it, just a cool, like, collection of moments. I mean, it was a cool day. It was just a cool yeah. day. It was one after another of, you know, everybody was kind of, like, at that edge of just a, needs one more sort of thing. And it was just really cool to one after another. Yeah, it was cool. And then Memphis was the last dog to run for me for the day, and hers was for the title. And we last series, you know, all cards around the table, and we it was a double mark, double blind. One of the marks. How was, how was the setup? All right, like, yeah. We'll, pay we'll me, pay me a picture. So um, this was it's called a double double. It was two marks. And two blinds, 
and it was a mom and pop mark. So a mom and pop mark is when the two marks come out of one location. So they were hidden behind like a maple tree. First mark comes out left to right and thrown down this little hill. And the dog had to go through like a finger of water and not cheat the bank. So hit the water, get out, drive up a hill, drive down a hill, pick up the bird, come back, hit the water. The uh, second bird was thrown. It was a landmark. They had to basically drive up a hill through a couple rows of grass, pick up the bird, come back, go get the memory bird. Then turn around, run a blind, turn back around, and run under the arc of the landmark. Under the arc means the bird comes out from that maple tree, lands up the hill, and I've got to run underneath where that bird was thrown. So it's really... Uh, tempting for a dog to run back to the old fall where they have been and picked up a bird. And so it's it's one of those things where good training and all that stuff comes together and they do it. And she just slammed it. So we do it, and we actually had to honor there too. So we do it all. She's ready to roll, about to get her title, but we still got to sit still and watch another dog work. She did awesome. Didn't move a muscle. How were your nerves for that, though? Like, you knew she, she nailed it on such a tough, you know, several retrieves. And then to just sit down and be like, okay. Yeah, you, you either you do go it or be you a dog. Don't. Like, after yeah. being jacked up. And she gets jacked up. Oh, my gosh. She's a nut job. She's so, shaking. Yeah. So she she was steady. And the dog, or excuse me, the judge released us from the honor and told us we were done. And I turned around, walked away put the leash on her and I just my eyes actually welled up because I mean, she's three and a half years old and from the time she was eight weeks old becoming a master hunter was what we set out to do and we've got bigger goals qualified all age I want to run some super retriever series with her you know we're gonna have some puppies in the future um, there's a lot of really cool bright future things with her but this was one of those goals that Three and a half years ago, we set out and we we accomplished it that day. And I I turned around and my dad was there and a bunch of clients were there and the home club. So people that I've been training with for years and years got to be there. And it, it just was a phenomenal, phenomenal feeling. So anywho, that's how our weekend ended up. And today we're you know back at training, ready to rock um, and, and keep setting bigger goals for all the dogs. What do you got lined up for for cruise next? Then she, you said she, she has a couple more. Yeah, are you gonna try and you know have those same big goals for her? What are you doing with her? Of course, yeah. So same goals as for cruise. She needs one more for a master title. We'll get that this fall. We've got two more tests to go to, but we're also going to be shooting for the master national in South Carolina next year. So this 2018, 2018 is in Oregon. Twenty nineteen is south carolina so we're gunning for that so it'll be memphis cruise safe and possibly ember shooting for master national 2019 south carolina so that's our goal fully for now. loaded yeah buddy we got big dreams and the only way to do it is to tackle them and and build and grow and train so that's what uh we're we're rolling with and we're fired up about so we had a good weekend uh, we've got a lot more people that we've reached out to for this podcast. Now we're going to get right into it. Yeah. Um, but 
a lot more people lined up for interviews. We're fired up for that. They're going to be fun. But this episode was designed for chatting about Kev's Alaska trip, my little hunt test weekend, and then your Instagram questions. We've got some great questions, a lot of awesome feedback from the first three episodes. So let's get right into it. Kevin, question numero uno. The bilingual podcast. That's right. Uh, first question is from Corey Espy. Thanks, Corey. Um, Corey's about to start force fetch and is debating uh, between the ear pinch method or the toe hitch. And uh, also spotted a lone duck shirt at the old Hatchy HRC test. So shout out to them. That's awesome. But uh, Bob, what do you think? Toe hitch or the ear pinch? What's your what's your move? Yep. Uh, yeah. Big shout out to whomever was rocking the lone duck shirt in Tennessee. Thank you very much uh, for the support. Um, I prefer ear pinch. I have never performed toe hitch, but I've seen it done a, a, often. I know a lot of guys do it and have success with it. So there's, in my opinion, nothing wrong with it. It's like there's two ways to skin a cat, right? Or whatever. What is that saying? More there's than one. Of, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we don't. Well, I probably condone skinning a cat. They're just a cat. It's not a dog, right? Don't skin your dog. Skin a cat. Anywho, ear pinch. So I ear pinch. I like it. It's hands on. His part of his question that wasn't written down uh, was like, if you do toe hitch all right i guess let me describe some things real quick let me break it down because i i don't know what a what a toe i mean right. i've seen that ear pinch whatever but i've never seen a toe hitch so right so let me slow down so an ear pinch is i i first teach the dog to hold a paint roller in their mouth i get them to stop rolling the bumper and spitting the bumper out and chewing on the bumper just hold it submit to having something in their mouth then I fold their ear back on their collar and I have my hand underneath the collar and pinch the ear and help get the paint roller in their mouth. As soon as the paint roller is in their mouth, I let go of the ear with my thumb and the pressure is turned off. So it's uncomfortable with the ear pinch. Then bumper goes in mouth, pressure is turned off, and I praise them. How hard are you pinching an ear? Is it like, can you give me a estimate there? Is it every dog's different, bud? So that's a fair question. Um, some dogs, it's very light. Some dogs need a little bit more. But the main thing when I first start out is I pry their mouth open and get the bumper in there and turn the pressure off. So they understand that by having that bumper or paint roller at this point in their mouth, means pressure's turned off and I'm praising them so uncomfortable with the ear pinch then bumpers in mouth comfortable and praise so, so every dog's different but it's more like making it clear to each dog good and bad pressure on pressure off correct yep exactly so so that's the ear pinch method so as I ear pinch I go from the paint roller to a bumper to walking fetch on the ground where I'm ear pinching to a couple different bumpers on the ground and they have to pick the bumper up off the ground pressure's turned off praise them 
pressure's turned off, praise them, pressure's turned off, praise them, right? And then I'll overlay ear pinch with the e-collar stimulation. So I will take my finger, pinch their ear, and then low-level e-collar stimulation, fetch, fetch, fetch. Good dog, right? And bingo, bango, they're picking bumpers up in a line where now they're getting two forms of pressure, e-collar and ear pinch. Once they're doing that, a couple sessions, I'll I'll let go of the ear and just do e-collar, and then I'll completely let go of the collar and just have a leash in my hand, e-collar, 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 fetch, 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 and that's how I transition from e-collar to, or excuse me, ear pinch to e-collar, and then force them to a pile and blah, blah, blah. Toe hitch. Toe hitch is where you take a small, maybe paracord string, tie it around their forearm, and then make a little loop, if you will, around their two front toes. So they've got like four front toes that you can look at if you're looking at a dog's toe. You take those middle two and loop the string around those like a half hitch type of knot, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So it's, and then the dogs usually 99% of the time, I don't know how anybody else would do it, but they're on a force fetch table. So now you got to build a force fetch table. They're tied to it. So they can't get away from you. Then you tie this string around their forearm and their toes and you pull the rope, which is pulling their toes uncomfortable, put the bumper in their mouth, comfortable. You let go of the rope and the slack is loose and their toes are comfortable and the bumpers in their mouth. So toes are uncomfortable, bumper goes in the mouth, release the tension on the toes, and now it's comfortable, praise, bumper in the mouth, bingo, bango. Then what I don't like about toe hitch is transitioning to the ground. So you're fumbling, holding the dog on a lead or by the collar and the toe hitch and trying to get him to fetch and you got you got a lot going on all at once and so i feel like how i've seen it done seems like a cluster it's just a lot of moving parts you could drop the rope dog could pull away rope slips off the toe um i i just i like being hands-on if I've got to reach down during the e-collar phase and pinch their ear, they understand that. And so ear pinch is how I do it. It there's seems less less chaotic. Like there's less room for error, especially if you're kind of juggling all sorts of things and dogs are moving and I mean Well well trust me, dude. There's probably there's people out there that toe hitch and have toe hitched for thirty years and they have it seamless, right? Like they don't yeah, have they don't have any problem with toe hitch. But for a first-timer, ear pinch to me is way easier. It's black and white for the dog. And I don't know. I just think there's a lot less moving parts that you have to worry about when you ear pinch. So to answer his question bluntly, Corey, I do ear pinch. I highly suggest ear pinch. Um, you can overlay the ear pinch with the e-collar and then then you're off and running with force to a pile with the e-collar and all that good stuff. So hope that answered your question. If you guys have any follow-ups to this, it seems like a lot of the questions I get are on force fetch. So maybe we need to like 
maybe we can do a YouTube video or yeah. like a, an explanation or something, a how to. Yeah, we'll do. We're gonna. That's probably project number one that we need to put together on how I force fetch from day one to end of the day. There, the dog is bringing birds, bumpers, anything back, delivering to heal and sit, and doing it beautifully, reliably, in and out of water every single time. So we'll we'll get on that. But anywho, Corey, thanks for the question. Let's go to question dose. That's two. Yeah, I was confused, so I'm glad you clarified. Uh, Devin Devin W. Jones. W. Uh, w. Thanks for sending this one along. It's a good question, which I think kind of moves along with question number one. Uh, Devin said that his dog is rolling and chomps on different birds during a retrieve, kind of playing around with them. Uh, doesn't ruin the meat, which is pretty good, but... Birds are returned kind of nasty. How are we trying to fix that problem? Okay. Um, so rule number one is the dog, if you've got a dog doing this, right, they're chomping on a bird, chomping on a bumper, um, playing with the bird, playing with the bumper, rule number one is force fetch. Now, Devin did clarify and say he did force fetch the dog. He also clarified that the dog is collar conditioned e-collar conditioned that's rule number two for me so the response i would give to him means dog has to be force-fetched and dog has to be collar conditioned if they aren't then you need to so that's rule number one if you haven't if you have a dog with this problem and you haven't force-fetched and collar conditioned the dog do it number two is when a dog does that and they're returning with the bird I'm watching them, and when they do it, I hear Nick here. It's called indirect pressure. Direct pressure would be hold, Nick, hold, or fetch, Nick, fetch, or something of that nature. Like, dog is screwing up fetching and holding, so you're going to tell them fetch or hold with pressure. That's direct pressure. Indirect pressure is hear Nick here or sit, Nick, sit. So you're correcting them on doing something different, but that indirect pressure gets their mind off of what they're doing, which is chomping, rolling, dropping the bird, whatever the case may be, and you're solving the problem indirectly. It also is a lot easier for a dog to understand, and you don't necessarily need as much pressure, and it's just they get it. So what I would do is I'm watching the dog. As soon as they start screwing around like that, here and a here, here and a here, here and a here, all the way to you and it can be depending on the dog and their personality it might be a very severe infraction it might be here really nick or really continuously shock all the way to you and get that dog to knock that behavior off and hold it gently um right now i've got a dog in training that's that's bad at that they were force fetched by somebody else did it too quick dogs high drive and very chompy on a bird and very chompy on bumpers, like basically mashes them. And so I redid force fetch to my standard. It's gotten a lot better, but in a really high excited state, he'll still chomp. And so I'm here, Nick, here. As soon as he gets to my side, I'll sit, Nick, sit him. He'll hold it gently. I take it from him gently. 
and we're good. But it's it's one of those ongoing things that you have to watch for and be on your A game so it doesn't slide. Awesome. Uh, key for 25. Appreciate Kiefer. the question. What up? Um, Kiefer's having trouble getting his dog to sit on a whistle uh, when the dog's going out and coming in. When the dog's not distracted, it's cool. He does it all the time. No big deal. But when he's distracted and there's some, some stuff going on, he he's not wanting to sit. Okay. Here's how I get a dog to sit on a whistle. Um, Would you just recommend he go back to basics with it? or? Yeah, I would. And I would really hone the comprehension of it. So the way I start sit on the whistle is dogs at heel. On lead. Whistle in your mouth. You are walking the dog at heel. Dog, when you stop, dog should understand when you stop, that means set. So I'll heel, and I lift up on the lead. So I lift up on the lead, pressure is on, butt hits the ground, pressure is off. Okay, comfortable, uncomfortable. Then I'll, instead of saying sit, well, actually, I usually say sit, toot. Okay. That's, a, that's a good whistle. Thanks, man. So sit with your whistle, lift up on the lead, butt hits the ground, pressure's off, and heel. Heel, sit, toot, pressure on pressure off heel sit toot pressure on pressure off butt hits the ground pressure's released and so the dog is reliably and then so then I'll take the verbal sit out and just do the whistle with the leash pressure okay so now once that's really 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 reliable we're cool then I will take the dog and sit them 50 yards away from me you can also do a nick with an e-collar, that, that's cool, too, uh, once a dog is doing pretty well. Then I'll take— How long does that—sorry. How, how long does that usually take you? Is it, like, a week of doing it, little little sessions, or, like, a month? No, yeah, it's probably more on the—it's probably more on the week side of it um, because we've already done the basic obedience, and they understand heel and sit type of thing. So gotcha. it shouldn't take long. Um, then I'll sit the dog 50 yards away from me. Walk away, face the dog, call them to me. As they're coming to me, toot. Dog doesn't sit. Okay, right? They're still learning. So I'm going to, quote, unquote, intimidate the dog into a sit. So that means my physical presence, my body language, and that whistle and verbal sit, I'm going to get them to sit. So I'm going to walk towards them briskly. Set. Two. Set. Good. Oh, good. Good dog. Good, right? So they get it. Uncomfortable, comfortable. And I'm not using physical pressure or anything like that. It's more body language, verbal, and the whistle. Get that dog to set. So he's coming towards you. Whistle. And use your body language. Get them to sit down. Good dog. Oh, pressure on, pressure off. You set. Good dog. Sit back away here, toot, and walk towards them. Get them to sit. Now all of a sudden, this is a little bit longer. So that week, two weeks, however many sessions you can get in, might take five sessions, might take ten sessions. I don't know. But when that dog is fifty yards away from you, no distractions going on, and they're coming towards you, you blow the whistle. They sit without you having to be 
uh, what was the word I used? Uh, air, air quotes so people can't air quote intimidated. Yeah, right. Without having but intimidating like, meaning like with your body language and right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. So without you having to be that way with, with just the whistle, that dog sitting reliably, cool. Now I've done things. So I've done e collar stimulation on the sit whistle on the neck. So the collar is where it normally is. You blow that whistle. You give them a couple nicks. Butt hits the ground. Pressure's turned off. Then I've also had some tougher dogs where you strap that e-collar around their waist with the e-collar receiver with the two prongs on their spine, basically on their butt. Really? Yeah. Old Bossy needed this. Because of, like, the there's nerves back there so it, it hits it or, like? No, I mean, it's no different than the, the neck. It's just the infraction, if you will, is the butt needs to touch the ground. So if you're nicking the neck, the infraction's on their neck. But if you put it on their back, plus that e-collar stimulation is pointing downward. Right. So they're almost wanting to Yeah, sit. like how I they escape you. it, they like scoot their butt underneath it. All of a sudden, they it's in a sit, and now the pressure's turned off. You follow me? Yeah, that's smart. I'm surprised you came up with that. I didn't come up with it, bro. People oh, that been dog sense, training son. forever. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that though. It it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, depending on the dog, I'm either e collaring on the neck or put that strap that e collar around their waist. Let them get used to it too. As soon as you strap that sucker, that's a good point. Yeah. As soon as you strap something brand new around their waist, they're gonna bite at it. They're gonna run away. They're gonna do all these weird things because they've never had anything strapped to their waist. So. Let them ride it out for a few minutes. Throw them a few fun bumpers. Like, let them get used to just having something on there. Maybe do it for a day or two where they just kind of get used to wearing that thing around their waist. Then sit them down, call them to you, toot, nick, nick, nick. Butt hits the ground, pressure's turned off. Life is good. So um, that's how I develop the sit whistle coming to me. It's easier to get a dog to sit when they're coming to you than going away um then i've also done a game with the dog this is a more passive way to teach sit on the whistle so once the dog's reliably sitting on the whistle at heel and coming towards you no distractions then you can play a game with the dog where they're like airing out in the yard having fun Toot. they sit throw them a bumper at a dog good dog so now all of a sudden it's like, heck yeah, I'm going to sit on this whistle and get a bumper. Because it's fun. Exactly. I thought you were going to say like Red Rover. What? Rover joke. Died. Died. Not a good one. Everybody witnessed it. Yeah. Um. Anywho, so that's one of the ways that I can like get that sit whistle to get more crisp because they're so excited. They hear that whistle. The faster they sit and look at you, the faster they're going to get a fun bumper. Um. You can also incorporate that into overcasts. So dog is playing in the yard. Toot. Dog sits. Give them maybe another verbal sit. Throw the bumper to the left of them. Toot. Over. They go pick that bumper up. Good dog. Bring it back. Yep. Go play. Go play. Toot. Throw it to the right of them. Over. Pick it up. So we incorporate it. Make it a game. And then when we've taught them that by sitting on the whistle turns the e-collar off by sitting on the whistle they're getting casts 
We also do mini tea in the mix of all this jazz. That's probably a different question, different time. I know. No, I'll run through it real quick, and then we can digress in it on maybe another podcast. But mini T is where I start to teach the dog how to go over and back. So there's a couple bumpers on the left, couple bumpers on the right, couple bumpers behind them. Think of a baseball field. I'm at home plate. Dog's at pitcher's mound. Bumpers are first, second, and third base, and you're casting the dog to each of them, okay? Very short grass, very short, you know, retrieves, if you will. So they're going... 15 feet, 15 feet, 15 feet. It's not big, right? Mini T, it's small, confined, under control. But every time they come back to the pitcher's mound where they're supposed to sit, I blow the whistle. So it's all the time that I'm making this dog sit, they're hearing that whistle. And all the time, it's becoming more and more repetition, consistency, and sit, okay? Um... Then things are starting to dial in. This dog's really sitting on this whistle, and I'm forcing it to a pile. So it's going to, it's learning that pile of bumpers. Good question. So I've got a pile of bumpers 60 yards away, short grass, white pole, you know, very black and white for a dog to understand. They've they've gone through forest fetch. They understand how to turn pressure off. I tell them back, Nick, back. They leave my side, drive to a pile pick the bumper up, come back. When they're coming back to me with that bumper in their mouth, toot, sit. So now they've got something in their mouth, another distraction, more new challenge, right? Now they're reliably sitting on the whistle, coming back with a bumper. Then I'll send them on back, toot. They turn around and look at me, send them back, right? So it's a it's a really good question that you had, Kiefer, it's a long process. It's a long answer. It's a long answer, <laughs> but I, I tried to actually go more in depth than just answering the question. But um, it's a it's the beginning stages and foundation for running blinds. So a dog that reliably and quickly sits on a whistle will reliably and quickly cast where you want them to go. So it's a strong foundation. This is not a week long thing that you do. It's a month long thing you do or or more. I don't well, know. It kind of sounds like each each uh, lesson or each step in the process kind of blurs into the next one where you're going from sitting on a whistle or, or sitting at heel on a whistle to sitting during bumpers and out playing in the field and then doing mini tea and then like doing actual retrieves. And it's kind of it's a it's a sequential process. Yeah. Yep. It's building blocks. All we're doing right now is building blocks to teach this dog that the whistle means Sit, face me, cool things happen. Hope that helped, Kiefer. Great question, bro, Montana. On to question cuatro. Four? Didn't do good (laughs) at Spanish. Uh, Matt Fitz, appreciate the question. Um, What do we feed our dogs and why? And you actually feed your dog something a little bit different than I do. Yeah, go ahead and answer your question first. Or you answer it for Birdie. Birdie's yeah, uh, so Bird a year is and a half old golden retriever. She's she turns two in a month and a half. Holy cow! She she's she's almost old. She's getting old. All right, so she's Birdie's tested for uh, eyes and hips and all that stuff soon. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like a proud dad. I know it. She, she's uh, becoming a woman. She she is a, a woman. Um, Bird, uh, like many golden retrievers, tends to have skin allergies and skin itchy this and that. 
kind of a pain in the butt, but she's not the only one. So we typically feed our dogs Purina Pro Plan. And that has, we've done that since forever. Um, but so I, so I started Bird on like the regular, which Bob will get into more of, but um, I, I started, started on the regular stuff and then moved over to the uh, kind of like old dog skin and light sensitive stomach sort of thing. And she's been doing great. Um, we used to feed her Blue Buffalo. Um, and did a little bit more of my own research into that, and it kind of seemed like it was a lot more marketing and less uh, dog dietetics. Um, so is dietetics a word? I don't. Yeah, look at that. See, we're in wow. my office right now. My wife's a dietitian, and there's a book that says review of dietetics. So wow, that's official. Yeah, jokes on you. Um, but so like their their dog food is actually backed by research and. You know, they, they build their food for, uh, like, high-energy, hard-running dogs, which we have. I mean, those dogs work. So we moved her to uh, Purina Pro Plan's Adult Sensitive Skin and Stomach. It's a salmon and rice formula, and she eats it, loves it, and it's been really good for her. So if anybody else has similar issues, I'd highly recommend it. So check cool. it out. Cool, cool. So I feed Purina Pro Plan Sport 26% protein, 16% fat. Um, I was feeding the 30-20 formula, uh, but I think, I, I don't know when I moved to it. That's a lot of protein, though. Yeah, but, well, so again, this is, don't do what I do just because I do it, right? kind of like what you do with your sensitive stomach. It yeah, you gotta you got to try it out. Every dog's right. different. So every dog's different. So just because I feed something, you don't feed your dog it because your dog reacted to it differently. So um, whatever works best for your dog. I found that the 26% protein worked great for my dogs. I think if I were to switch to 30-20, it'd be fine. Um, but it's a lot of protein for a dog's body to digest. Kidneys have to work harder things like that. So I just went to the 26% protein. Um, I also supplement their food with fish oil and the brand's called Wellactin, W-E-L-A-C-T-I-N, I believe it is. And I give them a little bit of squirt in the morning, a little bit of squirt at night, and they've got beautiful coats um, across different breeds of dogs and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, it's just a good supplement. There's also a probiotic that if their stomachs are off for whatever reason, maybe they drank from a bottle they shouldn't have or we road tripped it. Like Cruz doesn't like to eat on road trips, and so her stomach might get off. Um, Purina has a probiotic called Fortiflora, and that helps calm their stomach, puts probiotics back in their digestive system. It's cool. They don't get that every day, but that is a supplement that I put into their food that I really like. So we, I don't get paid by a Purina. I was just going to say, I, it sounds like we're I know. big fans, but, right. but, so it, but I'm gonna, honest I'm gonna, fans, I guess. Like, not a, they said we should say this sort of deal. Right. Yeah. We don't, I don't get any money from Purina, which shout out to Purina, hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> we could, though. We could. <laughs> Maybe we will. 
But right now, I don't get anything from Purina to say this stuff. I just have used a lot of different stuff in the past, and, you know, there's a lot of good foods out there, but you also have to be wise to the marketing. So Kevin made a great point about that kind of thing. Like, there's a... You know, a coyote chasing a fawn, and now they eat venison. And it looks good. Yeah, it looks, it looks good. all good. But Purina puts out millions of dollars into research, which is huge. They also, one thing that, like, emotionally I like about them is they donate to our sport. Yeah, that's something you don't see. Right. So they're a major donor for the... United Kennel Club HRC hunt tests. Everybody who signs up gets a little five-pound bag or pound bag, whatever it is. Um, Master National, they're always a major sponsor. I mean, these this company, Purina, gives back to our sport, and I respect that, and I want to support that too. Yeah. So um, my dogs eat it. They like it. Their coats look good. Their stools are solid. Um what more do I need? Like it has what we need to, to work and have these dogs are athletes. That's one thing I, I want to add actually is, you know, professional athletes have a strict diet and the food that goes in them is burned as fuel. It's not necessarily to look good or whatever. It's to build lean muscle, to have better metabolism, to use the ingredients and whatnot that goes into that food their body you know uses it properly when they're having a high output so when i've got a a working dog a machine that needs to burn calories and smart and have high endurance and work all day and all that stuff goes into what they eat okay and so purina and how my dogs do on it is something that I trust and that I use. Um, there's other brands that do a good job, but that's what I feed. So, um, one you, thing that think? I think would be cool to know because it's kind of like a, I don't know, one step further on Matt's question here is like a lot of people will, you know, feed once a day or yeah. they feed two or three times a day and and smaller, you know, smaller cups or something like that, um, or they feed with water or uh, you know, if we're going hunting the next morning, like how, how do you kind of plan for that sort of thing? Would, I think we do different things, but how do you do it? All right. Yeah. So Purina did recently, they had a post and maybe we can dig it up and find it for everyone, but they recently released how they feed dogs for the maximum output. And I am 99.9% percent sure i'm gonna quote this properly but they paraphrasing yeah now you're good yeah it's paraphrase right what is it cliff notes remember that that's <laughs> yeah. how i got through college everyone Same. spark right. notes spark notes shout out to spark notes <laughs> probably doesn't if they exist want to anymore. sponsor this yeah. podcast <laughs> all right so anywho purina put out this huge thing about athletic dogs and how they should eat basically they said feed once a day and that and feed at night so the dog can digest the food all night long excrete the food in the morning and have relatively empty stomach during the workday and their thought process is that 
an empty stomach that's not digesting food is going to use less blood. Therefore, less oxygen from the dog breathing needs to go to the blood to digest food and all that biology, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're able to pump that blood and oxygen to the muscles so their output and endurance increases, right? It makes sense to me. So that's cool. Now, I kind of will be a devil's advocate for them and say, I feed my dogs four cups a day, two in the morning, two at night. All of them? Yeah. So, well, some dogs are skinnier, so I might give them more, and some dogs are fat, so I might give them less, but law of averages, it's four cups, right? Okay. So um, four cups at night is a ton of food to go in a belly. I mean, you hold that bowl, and it's it's heavy, it's dense, it's a lot of food. And I worry about ingesting that much food all at once. Um, so I, I don't know. That's where my head's at. Now, this summer, I've had a lot of dogs, and it's been very hot. And so I have not fed in the mornings because I didn't want a dog to have a full belly. And then at 7 a.m., I mean, we're getting up early and we're rolling, so I would not feed in the morning and and then feed bigger meals at night because I didn't want a full belly of food in their system while we're out running in the heat. That makes them susceptible to bloat, okay? Which is not good. Right, that it'll kill a dog. So if a dog... Twi- twisted stomach for... Right. Yeah. The, basically, their stomach flips, blood circulation gets cut off, dog dies. Not good. So this summer... If I was really, really getting up early and really rolling early, I would not feed in the morning and then feed bigger at night. And then if I was going to have a slower morning the next day and maybe they wouldn't start running until 9 a.m., I would feed them in the morning and and then at night. So I don't have it down to a science. Purina does. They spend millions of dollars on research. I'm sure they're correct. But I do think that there is science, and I understand the idea behind feeding at night so their bellies are empty and their bodies can run more efficiently on the oxygen and blood flow and not going to their digestive system. So it makes sense. I just, there's something about feeding four cups at night that is so big that I just, I don't know. I don't know about it. Now, another question that you had asked a second ago was like during a hunt, what do you do? I definitely don't feed a full belly of food in the morning before we hunt. I will give them something, and maybe it's me humanizing the dog. Big word coming at you, anthropomorphizing. That's us putting human emotions and stuff on a dog. Yes, it is. Don't not. Kevin's nodding at me that I'm wrong. I think think you mean personifying the dog. No. Google it. Anthropomorphizing means we are, are humanizing the dog, and therefore... You know, I feel bad having a dog hunt on an empty stomach, and I want them to have a little bit of energy in them to, like, stay warm and all that stuff. So I do usually give a little bit of food. Kevin's Googling. Stick with us. So I do usually give a little bit of food, and then I usually have, like, some treats or something like that or a little peanut butter and jelly sandwich or mom's zucchini bread, and I'll flip them a little bit of that during our hunt. All right, he found it. Go ahead, Kevin. 
was anthropomorphizing, and it's to attribute human form to a non-human entity. So there you go. You just said it wrong. Okay, so it's not anthropomorphizing. It's anthropomorphizing. And so I was right. That's awesome. I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty smart. We graduated from the same college, so yeah, it all same thing. Go Bonnies. All right, so we answered the questions you asked. We responded. Really enjoyed this podcast. Uh, Episode four, thank you for listening. Now, we have some winners of our contest from episode two and three. Sorry if you're just tuning in and didn't even get to join, but uh, podcast episode two winner is at Dorn607. So... He he was cool. He followed Ira. He followed us. He commented, and he actually went above and beyond the call of duty, and he screenshot our logo and said, hey, go listen, and tagged tell your, us. Tell your friends. Dude, that's huge. So thank you so much for that. Episode three with Anthony Farrow, it was Upchucker, and Upchucker, doing a little research, they have their own podcast, so maybe we can get in and do a little... Do a little Check that out. Yeah, do a little co-mingling podcasting. And uh, so we're going to get a Lone Duck hat to Upchucker crew and Dorn 607, and we're going to get Ira and we're going to get Anthony to get them some gear too. So you two folks, thank you. Yeah, huge thank you. And please... Send us a direct message on Instagram, at Lone Duck. We'll need your address, and we'll send that to Ira and Anthony, and we'll get you you guys hooked up. Um, really appreciate all the support from everyone else. We got a lot of subscribers. We got a lot of um, five-star reviews, and you know, really can't thank you enough. So for episode five, we're fired up for our next guest, But in the meantime, do us a favor. Click that subscribe button. Give us a review. Maybe leave us a little note. Maybe a little question about dog training. We would really appreciate it. It's uh, it means a lot to us to those who have already done that. And it it revs us up for the next one. So um, stay tuned. Stay frosty. It's hunting season, baby. Episode five coming at you. Let's go. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.